Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. With the current COVID-19 restrictions, do you find yourself with more kids being schooled at home than you would have predicted if we had asked you a year ago? Well, have we got the episode for you. In this episode of The Dad Project, Joe Foster takes on the topic of homeschooling. Joe is a husband and father of six who stepped away from a career as a school teacher to become a full-time homeschooling dad. And he makes points that are quite relevant to those of us whose spouses are in the lead on the at-home education of our kids. Whether you're moving entirely to homeschooling or working to juggle the challenges of distance learning through your local school, this talk will help you build habits to help make homeschooling or at-home distance learning more successful. So, you're thinking about homeschooling. Or maybe you're already doing it. Or maybe your wife's thinking about it. Or maybe, like the majority of Americans, the coronavirus pandemic is forcing your family to homeschool or to engage in some variation of homeschooling at this time. The truth is, if you're a father and you live with your children, in a certain sense, you are already homeschooling your child in some way, however small that way may be. And so, at the heart of this talk is some practical advice for pretty much everyone with school-aged children. By homeschoolers, we traditionally refer to those of us who have decided to educate our kids academically at home. In other words, not at a traditional school. Instead of allowing others to do so, we have made the insane decision to become our children's principal, teacher, lunch lady, janitor, and bus driver all at the same time. If you are one of these nut jobs, then welcome to the club. You're in some pretty good company. Because in my opinion, homeschoolers, like other countercultural renegades, are more fun. I'm also here to tell you, you can do this. You have to believe me. If I can do it, then you definitely can too. Our children learn so much from our example, and homeschooling in this context is not just a method, but a philosophy. It's a way of life. It's kind of like a state of mind. The beginning of homeschooling, I would argue, is not the moment we withdraw our kids from school. It's the moment mom or dad realizes he or she is, in fact, always teaching his or her children. And the extent of our homeschooling depends on our particular situation. This talk today is not about how to homeschool. I'm not going to talk about curriculum, why you should or should not homeschool. The topic of this talk is practical ideas on how to improve your homeschool or to support your wife's homeschool project or even to play a major role in your family's homeschool as a father. And I think even for those of you whose children are going to be in school this year, I think with the pandemic, you're going to find still a lot of the things I'm going to talk about useful because your children most likely will be working at home at some point over this next school year, and you'll be there to implement some of these ideas and to, and to assist them with their schoolwork, which is, in effect, homeschooling. First of all, a little bit about myself. I'm a homeschool father of six children, ages 5 through 13. I've been homeschooling them for seven years now, and I'm a formal middle school English teacher, which was absolutely nothing like homeschooling. My wife works, and I've been staying home with the kids since our first daughter was born almost 14 years ago. I started off homeschooling feeling very insufficient and incapable of 
accomplishing what I thought it took to be a successful homeschooler. That first summer in preparation, I sought out the advice of a few homeschooler friends and attended a few local homeschool conferences, which really built my confidence and gave me all the tools I needed. And it's really been one of the great and wonderful surprises of my life. Had you told me 20 years ago I'd someday be the homeschooling father of six, I'd have laughed and told you, oh, you must mean the other Joe Foster. But here I am, and it's going pretty well as far as I can tell so far. Of course, there are days when it's really hard, but overall, it's been a game changer for me as a parent and as a spouse. Just the relationship I have with each one of my children because we homeschool is really incomparable, I think, to what it would have been if I had put them in school. And so, no matter how difficult it may be, I have no regrets. And I encourage all of you, if you are thinking about it, to give it a try. First of all, I think it's important that we try to see our homeschool as a school of the virtues. Make a study of the virtues, the underlying hidden theme of your day. I'm going to be talking a lot about all these practical ideas, but embedded within each one of them is a way to practice the virtues with our families, to educate them on the virtues, but also to practice them ourselves and to teach them by our own example. The practice of the virtues in the homeschool is kind of like this simultaneous goal that we should have. Always, whether we're trying to teach math or history or music, while we're studying these subjects, we're also studying the virtues. And what I mean by that will hopefully be explained as we move further along into this talk. This is something that I think as a culture, at least in American culture, we've kind of moved away from. It's not a big emphasis of ours anymore. But we can, if we choose to, return to that and start building the foundation of virtue in our children so that when they face adult life, they have those virtues and they carry it in there with them. And I think we can all agree that we don't know what the future's going to be like for the next generation. For many of us, it probably seems a little scary, but we can prepare them for this unknown with a preparation in the virtues. And so with that, we will now move to the heart of this talk, which is practical ways to help your wife with homeschooling, assuming she's the headmaster of your school, the one who is in charge. Practical tip number one, listen to your wife. Listen to her and support her. I ask homeschool mothers what they most appreciate from their husbands, how they help them the most, and it's almost unanimous. The first thing they always say is, he listens to me. He supports me. It's always something along those lines. If she is in charge of the homeschool, your wife, then let her be in charge of the homeschool. And if she is in charge, then remember, she is the heart of the homeschool. So give your heart to her. Maybe it would be a good idea to schedule time to talk with her on homeschooling regularly, possibly weekly to give her an opportunity to formally discuss with you that which is consuming the majority of her time and thoughts and efforts. This might sound obvious, but put the phone down. Put it down. Put it in the other room if you have to. And look in her eyes. I know that sounds really obvious and maybe a little corny, but it's something that we forget. Eye contact is so important. It shows her you're listening to her. 
If she's having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, just encourage her. Just listen. Don't try to discourage her from homeschooling just because she's having a rough time. Sometimes all she needs really is someone who will listen. And that's it. So just listen. Listen with empathy. Practice the virtue of understanding, of empathy. Take into account all that she is suffering, all that she's enduring. And then if you're going to respond, respond with optimism. It's an opportunity always to practice the virtue of optimism when you're with her, but especially when you're on the topic of homeschooling. In the face of homeschool failures, which will happen from time to time, without denying the failure, we need to be optimistically looking forward. Seek ways to improve in these moments. Offer her words of affirmation, cheerfulness. It's a moment to practice the virtue of cheerfulness. It's sometimes hardest to be cheerful with those who are closest to us, especially when we're discussing issues that are most sensitive to us. Use humor. Use laughter if you can. Smile. When you leave work and come home, or if your office is in the home somewhere and you're walking into the homeschool area or whatever or wherever that is, be prepared to smile at her. Be prepared beforehand to smile no matter what happens when you walk into that room. No matter what you discover going on there, no matter how terrible it's going, be prepared to smile and to be supportive. Be prepared to respond with audacity. It's an opportunity to practice the virtue of audacity, which I think is required for anything to move forward with anything that's countercultural. Be prepared to respond with humility, letting her be who she is, the boss of the homeschool. Remember that she's given up everything to serve your family in this way, and this sacrifice should not be belittled, for it is, in fact, an incredible sacrifice she's making and a heroic act of love. Be prepared for these moments mentally before they happen, not as a minion, but as a servant, as someone who loves. Number two, listen to and support the kids. The best advice I've been given, and maybe the best advice I can give you, given to me by a wise friend years ago, is to go on a walk with each one of your children every week. Very simple. Just go for a walk and listen. In the simplicity of the walk, they start to open up and they start to realize that you're there just for them. Not because you're going to get them ice cream or there's something you want from them. You're just there to be their friend and to listen. And you'll be surprised by the things your child will tell you. Get a routine. Pick a day of the week and let them know they will certainly help you remember which day that is. I pick a day for each one of my children and we just walk about a 20, 25 minute walk and they tell me things about themselves. They tell me things about their siblings, their friends, and they tell me things about me too. And I grow from the experience as well. But it's time to give your heart to your child. And depending on your history with them, it may take some time to get used to it, you know, for them to open up to you. It could take weeks. It could take months. But if you're consistent and you don't give up, 
in time, that scheduled talk with dad will become the highlight of their week. And it may even help you come up with new ideas for how to solve problems within the homeschool life. On this walk, you practice the virtue of respect because it shows them you are acting in their best interest. The interest you take in their words and the things they are telling to you, it shows them that at home, when you're assigning them things or you're disciplining them, the walk shows them and helps them to trust that you are doing it with their best interest in mind. The walk and the affirmation they receive on the walk from you, it builds confidence and trust with your kids. And they will start to trust you as long as you practice discretion, as long as you always keep the things they tell you to yourself. Remember, their words on the walk are for your ears only. You've heard it said that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, the same is true of this walk. Unless grave circumstances demand otherwise, what happens or is said on the walk stays on the walk. It stays between you and your son or daughter. It's a private walk. It's also an opportunity to practice the virtue of patience on the walk, during the walk. But this walk, as an act of patience, translates into patience throughout the day. Simplicity. You practice the virtue of simplicity on this walk because there's nothing more natural than going for a walk. And within that virtue of simplicity, you, you find a link to many other virtues. And then after the walk, spend some time thinking about him or her. Spend time thinking about that particular child. Thinking about the things he said to you. Keep a notebook and keep it well hidden. And write down a few notes in the notebook. Look for patterns in the things they say to you. Recognize possible hidden vices that are being developed in their lives. And think of ways to root them out, to foster the opposing virtue. Remember that you are their best guide. Because you are the one who loves them. Or at least is trying to love them the most. And if you don't do it, no one else will. Or worse, someone else will. Number three, discipline. There needs to be discipline within the homeschool. Now, everyone has their own ways of disciplining a child, but something to keep in mind. Discipline should always be carried out with justice. And justice that is always connected with love. So, always discipline with justice and love together. Be thoughtful in your punishments. And also, be thoughtful in your rewards. The idea is to give them their due whether it's a punishment or a reward, and be consistent. They need to learn that their actions always have consequences at home and also in life. Sometimes these consequences are natural. You have to be willing to let your children fail. And sometimes letting them fail is how they learn the lesson. It's the discipline itself. Sometimes consequences have to be constructed by us. And it's important to be consistent and firm. Let your no mean no. Not, well, if you nag me enough, then maybe I'll change that no to a maybe. And if you continue nagging me, it may turn into a yes. No has to mean no always. So before you say no, 
Think about it. Number four, technology. Everyone handles technology differently, but I would recommend up to a certain age that you use technology sparingly. Personally, we use technology like laptops, iPhones, tablets for educational purposes only. Because when you combine learning, that can sometimes be boring, with technology or a device or whatever they're using, it makes it more fun. If you are going to let your kids use phones or iPads or whatever, or even video games, schedule their use and supervise it. Make sure you know what they're doing on these devices. It's important, at least in homeschooling, to allow your children to become what I call sufficiently bored. Doing so makes academic subjects seem that much more interesting and it encourages them to do things you never dreamed they could do. One way I do this is I schedule two to three hours of free time, sometimes every day, time when they don't have any device, no TV, no schoolwork, nothing. And I just tell them, you know what? Go find something to do. Doing so will make their schoolwork when they come back to it more interesting. And you'll be surprised by what your kids are capable of if you aren't aware of it already. If your kids are sufficiently bored, they'll learn to sew. They'll learn a musical instrument. They'll learn to crochet. They'll learn how to keep honeybees or rabbits or chickens. They'll play sports really well. They will learn how to paint, to plant a garden, and it will encourage imaginative play. Technology is a great area to practice the virtue of temperance, self-control, moderation. Give them freedom with technology, but within boundaries, and give it to them as a daily educational reward. Number five, choose at least one class, one enrichment activity, one thing you're going to do for your children, for your wife's homeschool, and do it well. Give it your best shot. Find something that you're good at, something that you're most interested in. Maybe it's an academic subject like history or math or science or art or music. Or maybe it's a hobby you've always wanted to have, but you never had the time or a sufficient reason to do it. Well, now you can do it with your kids. Or maybe it's a cultural interest like the ballet or the symphony or the theater. Or maybe it's just Irish music at the local pub. Take your kids to these activities and make it something you are doing. And if you're not good at anything, then become good at something with your kids. There's absolutely nothing wrong with dad taking his first piano lessons with his son. Piano could be that thing you're doing together. Or maybe it's something as simple as visiting a nursing home regularly. Maybe every Thursday evening or every third Thursday evening, you take the kids and you go visit a nursing home. Whatever it is, you find that thing and do it well. With this, you can practice the virtue of fortitude in carrying this thing out, the strength it takes to carry this thing out well. Perseverance, because it's something you do every week or every month for an entire year. It's a commitment. And every day you take steps to achieve that goal, despite the internal and external challenges 
and difficulties that always come up when we make a commitment. Your practicing of perseverance will teach your children to do the same someday. And you'll see, whatever it is, whatever activity you're doing, and if you do it long enough, oftentimes your kids will become good at it. And they will become exceptional, possibly, because they have their father's example and commitment to encourage them. And because they have time budgeted in their schedule to become good at it. If they do become good at it, then it's important to practice the virtue of modesty. You might have a superstar kid, but don't brag about it. Keep his or her achievements private. Unless sharing those achievements is for the benefit of your child or for the benefit of others. Numbers six and seven go together because they deal with the virtues of orderliness and flexibility. And I link these two together when it comes to setting a schedule. In the homeschool, we need to set a schedule. And it starts with setting a schedule for ourselves. You may have work to do at home, or maybe you go to your office, or to the job, or whatever. But you can set a time when you are available to your wife and your children in the homeschool each week, or even each day if possible. Schedule time that you are available for tutoring. Maybe you say to your wife, at 3.30 every day, I'm available to tutor whoever you want, however you want, or to do whatever is needed in the homeschool. That's my time to do it, from 3.30 to 4.30 every day. And if you schedule that time, first of all, you will be prepared mentally to be helpful at that time. And also your day and, and your wife's day may have less unwanted surprises. But also your whole family's schedule if you stick to it, their schedules will start to become integrated with yours, and in this way, you'll bring more order to your whole family, even if you aren't in charge of their overall schedule. I also encourage you to set a schedule with your wife for your whole family. Sit down with her and write it down. Having a set wake-up time is very important. If it's 8 o'clock in the morning, then you're up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Monday through Friday, regardless of what time they went to bed the night before. And again, that's just teaching them simple consequences. If you stay up late, you're going to be tired. You still have to get up on time. I also recommend definitely encouraging your children to get dressed and ready for the day before breakfast. It would be good to schedule your meals if possible, at least one sit-down meal with the whole family every day. In homeschools, sometimes the easiest meal is breakfast, and that sets an orderly tone for your day. If your family meets during a particular meal, then it could be a time for you to talk about homeschool-related issues. Budget time for discussion within your mealtime schedule. So many things can be built into that time, that meeting of your whole family during the meal. Maybe it's lunch, or maybe it's dinner. Maybe it's all three. The schedule needs to be consistent but it also has to be flexible. We need to be able to practice the virtue of flexibility within our order. Otherwise, it would become a vice. We have to be willing to adapt always, but within that willingness, we don't lose sight of our goal. Set an example of order for your children. And maybe it's something your wife decides. If she decides the shoes go on the shelf when you walk in the door, then the shoes go on the shelf when you walk in the door. You start with yourself, and then you expect it from your kids. If the dishes go in the sink after the meal, then the dishes go in the sink after the meal. 
If there's math that needs to be finished before playtime, then the math has to be finished before playtime. And you expect it of your children. You reinforce order, whatever order you're trying to establish, and you be flexible and consistent, even if it requires extra work from you. Number eight, don't try to make your homeschool run and feel like a traditional school. There's a cartoon I once found on the internet. In this cartoon, there's a big banner at the top, and it reads, Homeschool Class Reunion, in big, bold letters. And below the banner, there stands cartoons of three to four people of varying ages, uh, from middle-aged to retired. And on each of their shirts are name tags. One has a name tag that reads, Dad. Another has a name tag that reads, Sis. Another says, Tom. And then at the bottom, there's a caption that reads, Were the name tags really necessary, Mom? This is an example of what not to do. Remember, this is a home school. Culturally, it's very different than a traditional school. Personally, I had to rethink education when I left the traditional classroom as an educator. The kitchen is very often your classroom, and that's okay. Homeschoolers don't need to go to prom. They don't need a PE class. The biggest difference, I would say, is that traditional schools generally teach children to become teacher-dependent, while homeschools teach them to become more independent learners. And so train your students, your children, to become independent learners. As much as possible, don't make them dependent on you, the teacher. Look for ways to foster independence, always. Like a radar or an, or an antenna, keep your eyes peeled for opportunities to foster independence. Maybe there's an online class they can take. Maybe you can help them think of ways to generate their own in income. Maybe there's a friend down the street or an, event or an event somewhere in the neighborhood they can ride their bike or walk to. Anytime you can get them to do something on their own, go for it. They will need this independence when they're teenagers. And if you don't develop it at a younger age, they won't be ready. And they're going to need it. And you will too. At age 14 or 15, they're going to be craving it. And if you can give it to them because you've worked up to it, at that point, things are going to be a lot easier. I like to think of it as a, a credit score. In order to have a good credit score with a lender, you have to have some kind of credit history. You have to borrow money and show that you can pay it back. You have to give your children opportunities where they can possibly fail. And you have to stay ahead of them, just slightly ahead of their need for independence. To do this, you can give them responsibilities that maybe they're on the verge of being ready for. For instance, the virtue of honesty. Give them opportunities to be honest with you. Trust them. Trust them with something. And another thing in our homeschools, all of us, especially the educators, is that we have to practice the virtue of sincerity. Giving the kids a bath does not count as a marine biology field trip. We have to be honest here and sincere in our efforts. I mentioned earlier the homeschool explosion that we're currently experiencing in this country due to the pandemic. It's very likely that this is going to bring about a push, whether it's actually needed or not, for federal homeschool regulations. 
that has to be on our radar, first of all. We have to be aware that this is probably going to be a political issue soon. But in the meantime, we need to set good examples as homeschoolers. We don't want to ruin it for those who are going to be homeschooling after us. We need to preserve this freedom by doing it well and being honest and sincere in our efforts to run our homeschools and to keep them running the way they should. Number nine, you, not your wife, should plan a weekly or monthly activity or quarterly if that's all you can commit to. Plan an activity with the kids, a regular activity, maybe with another homeschool dad or two of them if possible. This will give your wife, your spouse, a much needed break. And if she, and if she can count on you for this, it will go a long way towards making the homeschool week much more doable. If she knows it's coming at some point in the week or month, it's something that she can look forward to. And also, your children can look forward to. And if you include other families, it will help you to develop friendships. And it will help your children to develop friendships too. The most common question non-homeschoolers ask homeschoolers is, how are your children going to make friends if they're not in school? And the question we should ask them is, well, you're not in school either. How do you make friends? We simply make appointments with people and we spend time with them. And over time, we develop friendships with them. It's really that simple. Friendship is one of the virtues really lacking in masculinity today. Most men have, have very few friendships, if any. And because of this, we're really missing out on one of the great joys and lessons in life. As a homeschooled dad, you have, you have a great opportunity to build friendships with other homeschooled dads while you're hanging out with your own children. You and the other dads have homeschooling in common, and your children have that in common. And the whole thing can build from there. It can be something as simple as visiting a playground every Tuesday evening after dinner with other homeschool dads. You get together, you talk, you build friendships while your kids are playing around. And that's it. It's just the dads and the kids. The moms, they get time off. Your weekly activity is an opportunity to, do, to practice the virtue of friendship. Seeking the best interest of your friends. You can develop that. It can also help with the virtue of sociability, finding ways to get together with different people. Maybe they're people you otherwise don't have that much in common with. And that will teach your children to be interested in others who are different from them. Instead of asking what this person can give me, it will become, what can I give this person? They don't interest me, but maybe over time, my friendship with them will have a purpose and will help me to understand myself better. And so setting up these dates for you and your children will help get that ball rolling. Number 10, pick one major household chore and do it every week or day or whatever it takes. One of the hardest parts of homeschooling, after you accept that this is all one of you are going to do, is completing all the basic household tasks, including three meals a day, dishes, preparing the food, setting the table, etc., and doing all those things while you're homeschooling. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot 
of multitasking. And if you can pick at least one that you're going to do for the family, you can really, really help your wife and your children also. And the rule is that you complete it on your own. That way, your wife can depend on you. It's your thing. Maybe it's doing the dishes after dinner every day. Maybe it's just doing the kids' laundry. As you get better at it, you can also train your children to do it by inviting them to do it with you. And this, it helps if you schedule this chore during this sufficiently bored time I mentioned earlier. But give them a choice. Again, if you give them a choice to help you, then you can give them an opportunity to practice generosity, another virtue. You can't force someone to be generous because then it wouldn't be generosity. It would be something else. You have to give them a choice. And if you give them the choice to help you, then they can be generous with their time. And actually, you'll see, kids can have fun doing chores if it's time they get to spend with dad because you can make it fun by taking interest in them. And yes, it makes the chore take longer initially, but over time, they'll get better at it. And maybe someday they'll be able to do it on their own. And that will really help out the homeschool. And also foster that independence, which is so desired. If you can train your children to do these chores by their choice, not just to do them, but to do them well, then you're really on your way to a bright and cheerful home. And it can also be simple things like preparing a meal or part of a meal, drying dishes, carrying laundry baskets up the stairs, sweeping under the dining room table, or maybe it could be something bigger like cleaning the bathrooms once a week. It's also important to practice the virtue of prudence in these situations. Not ticking on too much. Know what you're capable of, but do it well. If it's just one thing a month, then that's the one thing. But you do it well. You do it the best you can and with a smile, which will teach your children, even if they don't choose to help you, to work cheerfully someday and to the best of their ability by your example. Lastly, if you get anything out of this talk, I hope you at least feel encouraged to think of your homeschool always as a school of the virtues. Make it the underlying theme of your day. It, it should be a simultaneous goal while you're teaching your kids math or history or whatever. You're teaching them virtues at the same time, always. Try to discover the possible vices being developed in each particular child and maybe in the family as a whole. And then with this realization, begin to foster moment by moment the opposing virtue in that individual or in your family as a group. And in this way, you will infuse the study of virtue into the entire homeschool day. Think of the greatest generation. Well, at least that's what they call them, the, the greatest generation. For a lot of us who are parents now, it's our grandparents' generation, the World War II generation, the ones who grew up during the Great Depression. In their families, they built foundations made of the core virtues. It's something we've kind of slowly gone away from since then. A lot of these people grew up on farms, which is a situation that naturally fosters the virtues. 
They grow up in big families, which again is a situation where virtue is naturally fostered out of necessity. But also, the virtues were intentionally taught by their parents and expected of them, and it prepared them. That foundation of virtue prepared them to face great adversity. It prepared them to face worldwide war and the reconstruction that followed. But I would argue that it wasn't the war necessarily that made that generation great. It was the preparation they had going into the war. This preparation was how they answered the call. It was how they coped with it. And it was how they came out on top in the midst of such great disaster. And so think about that. Keep that in mind as you're training your children. We need to train them for the same kind of adversity. While we don't need to raise a large family on a farm to teach the virtues, it must be done intentionally. It's an interior preparation. They need to be interiorly ready. And they need a father who understands and tries to practice the virtues himself. They could be great mathematicians someday. They could become great medical doctors or architects or educators or carpenters. But if they don't have the virtues, they may be mediocre at life. They may be good someday at what they choose to do professionally, but they won't know how to do it virtuously and for others with love. And so it's important to work towards that goal of making your homeschool a school of the virtues. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.